Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day-to-day work. Listen to their real-life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome to the podcast, Ruben Miller. Hello, Ruben. Hi. Oh, don't go all shy on me now. (laughs) You're one of the biggest talkers I know. Hi, Mary. So, Ruben, um, you're a chartered surveyor and registered valuer. Tell us a little bit about the kind of work you do now. I do a range of valuations for private purchase. I do some consulting for mortgage valuations, home buyer surveys and condition reports. Um, for families, individuals, couples, businesses. Um, yeah, that's the kind of range. I was trying to think about when we first met. And I think, did you join my business mastermind through the yeah. summer? Yeah, I think you were one of the hardcore group that did a Sunday morning, didn't you? Yes, we did. The 8am Sunday morning start, which I, I hated. That <laughs> early work on a Sunday. but. The group is just awesome. I love your work, Marion. Oh, thank you. It's really developed me as an individual and a person and as a business. And I've got so much support from that. And, um, you know, it feels like a real rite of passage to be in the chair as a guest now. And I feel like you've really enabled me in loads of ways. And so I'm deeply grateful. Oh, thank you. Now I remember the first time that uh, when when you when you thinking about it now when you joined the call and uh, we were, we do the we did the calls by by Zoom and it was in sort of the thick of lockdown. Everybody had bad haircuts, and I remember saying to you, Reuben, <laughs> "Wow, that's some curly mop you're rocking." <laughs> in a you know, everyone's hair has grown, and you were like, "No, I normally have my hair like this." <laughs> Yeah, I, was mortified. I, I just wanted. I, I had I had short hair for about you know twenty five plus years, and I just felt I'd wanted to change, and it did happen to coincide with the COVID time. Anyway, I was growing it before all the restrictions, and it I I, I it just feels like I really wanted to step into shaping my world and taking my agency and being the full true version of who I am in work, in play, in relationships. And that's so much easier said than done. And yeah, part of growing my hair is a small part of that. So we'll have for everyone listening, we'll have to have a picture of you on the blog with your, your current hairdo. <laughs> so tell me, how did you get into surveying? Because I know your background is really an estate agency, isn't it? How did you how did that come about? Well I I went into well, I was in a state agency for 15 years in a family business, and I need to disclose my early years. I think I've I've got found out when I was about 15, I had dyslexia, and that was probably a bit too late to find out. And I don't, I think. Ah, uh, you say that though, but you know, there's a few people that I've had on the podcast who've told me that yeah. they've discovered they had dyslexia as adults. So yeah. I, I think this is something that's more common with surveyors 
than we think. I mean, we know it's more common and prevalent now because we're yes. as a society because we're tuned into it. But I think there's something there with surveyors, and it helps us with our superpowers of what yeah. we notice about properties yeah. and things. But but you got diagnosed at, at 15, so yes, it was late. Yeah, highlighted that, and I, I'm glad you also kind of pull it to a positive because there is a, there is a strength. There, there are, is a strength in, in sort of connection to a, you know, a different style of learning. And I think I, I note it because I didn't go to university at 18 like a lot of my friends. And I, I kind of felt left behind and a bit of a loser and a failure in some ways for not having that and have kind of given myself, you know, a, a, a hard time over the years. And so to... To working as an agent, I, I did do a work-related degree and I wanted to move, I wanted to change career in midlife really and um, plotted a way to become a surveyor. And I, I found out I needed to do a postgraduate in a, in a recon, RICS recognised degree and I needed to do associate and then full member of RICS. And I, first of all, I got into Reading in 2007 based on my work experience and having a work-related degree. And I then kind of that 2008 recession kicked in and I got offered shares in the company and did a U-turn and decided I wasn't thinking of doing surveying then. I was just thinking of getting out of um, agency. And in 2000, I think something like 2013 or 14, I, I plotted my way to go to university and I applied to LSBU, London South Bank, and I got rejected and I was thinking, this isn't okay. I need to speak to the course director. And we went for a coffee and she said to me, can you meet deadlines? And I said, are you serious? I've been meeting deadlines for years. I do every day for work. And, you know, I, if you give me access into this course, I will be self-funding and will work incredibly hard to achieve and get through. She let me in and Four years later, I got a distinction and passed all 20-plus assignments first time and often came top of the group but, or thereabouts. So it really changed the script. Being a, being a mature adult and a middle-aged adult going back to school was, was a new mm. experience from that story, feeling like a loser and a failure and thick, to suddenly thinking actually I can do this if I want to do it and I can achieve. Yeah I think it shows amazing resilience and I see this again in residential a lot of surveyors do come to to the profession to the industry later on. Yes. Um, They've sort of found their way it's been really hard to get there there's been the ups and the downs but also I think that richness of that your career, your life experience, everything that's brought yeah. you through to today or to the day that you start being a, a residential surveyor really adds to your skill as a surveyor. Because when you walk into someone's home, mm. you walk into their life, warts and Absolutely. all. Absolutely, yeah. And that, that takes a level of maturity to know how to handle that. You know, there are things that you see that you can't unsee. In the last year in the surveyor hub, we had a particularly topical post about a toilet uh, you know and and yeah. which comes to mind you know of this really horrible loo you know and people are upset that it was posted but equally do you know what sometimes you go into a home and you see that and 
people are living in these situations and it's not Absolutely. all about home you know home buyers and vendors I think and there's probably you know? a, a gap there that there's not enough there's not really any clear training on 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 those soft skills and empathy and life skills um and what i love about your work marion is that you're massively aware of that and it draws me to you and you know makes me feel well i think that's because of my experience of dealing with complaints and claims you know i've seen it from both sides you know not just you know your mr or mrs angry complaining but just the real reality of having to live with a property that's got a defect or the worry and anxiety that someone might lose their home because of a down valuation. And then also on the other side, a surveyor who, you know, has been going out to do their work to the best of their ability, often within a framework, the standards that we have, guidance, et cetera. And sometimes we're set to fail and sometimes we just don't have that emotional intelligence, you know, to, 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 to connect the two. Tell me about some of the jobs you've had, though, before you before you came as a surveyor. So you talked about working in, in an estate agency. I had agency. a range of jobs before I went into surveying. I was a postman briefly. I worked in Harrods. Um, warehouse in Knightsbridge for a couple of years. That was for physical hard work. And I then left that to train as a personal trainer and I did a YMCA diploma and I trained as a master and I used to do exercise classes around South and Central London and a um, bit of one-to-one work, a bit of GP referrals for people with physical and mental health problems. And I worked with elderly with dementia as well. and. In fact, I live around the corner to a place I used to work in. It's now a fire station, which was a elderly dementia unit, which I remember taking my daughter to. And she got quite freaked out because there were quite bound old, older people being confused and shouting out and mm. quite scared. My my first job, well, one of my early jobs was... Um... Uh, my mum was a nurse in a residential nursing home. And so I used to work in the kitchen doing the dinners. Oh. Um, but you get to meet some lovely, you know, yeah. old deal, dears there. And um, I, I really I really enjoyed it. And again, you know, not everybody gets to interact with people in that way. You know, um, we don't all have grandparents, you know. Um, I think the more you can do no. that puts you in front of working with other people really helps you are there any particular jobs that have um really stood you in good stead for being a surveyor well i i suppose 15 years as an estate agent um oh yeah yeah that <laughs> that'd do it <laughs> given me a, a a good robust awareness of the people in their homes and the investments and development world a bit as well and I definitely had some consideration as we said before for there's always with home purchases it's always relational big transitions new baby that people um, kids moving away marriage divorce death that drives that change and mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm enjoyed being you know I, i'm sensitive to being around that I, I mean i remember shocking stuff i remember being in in a derelict property as an agent and if there'd been a one of the family members was living there who had alcohol problems and 
a lot of agents were snooty and standoffish about that. They couldn't handle it um, because it was a bit, probably a bit scary and intimidating mm. ever live. Yeah, decay in the home and with the person. And I, I was all right with that because I've got reflective and empathic skills that I've developed. So I think those experience give have gaining sensitivity and relating to people when there is traumatic drivers around those home moving decisions. Um, it's what I like um, mm. about the job. Um, and how have you brought that understanding then into your work as a surveyor? Because very often we can be seen as quite transactional. We get paid, hopefully before, hopefully nobody gets paid after the job. <laughs> you yeah. get, you get, you, get, you yeah. do now, you get, you get paid. And, um, you know, you do the job, send the report, might be a phone call, you know, it's sort of quite short and sharp in the scheme of the home home buying journey but how do you bring some of that then into your into your work and the way you you well in the last six months with your support I've I've looked at the the way my customer journey and I'm still working on it and it still is a work in progress but I I use um I I offer my clients zoom calls Korean post um, inspection and where possible I'll meet them at the property and when I first did that I was terrified to meet the clients at the property if the vendor's not there and but actually it's so much more fun and so much more interactive and real you know I get to look the person in the eye I get to shake their hand you know beyond the COVID issues and I get to walk around and say look this is where this is this is the defect and this is what I suggest and this is what I recommend and and I get to hear firsthand what what they intend to do, whether it's an investment and then for a rental or it's their home and they want to do a loft conversion or back extension. And that's just so much more satisfying than just preparing a report and emailing it off and then that's it, on to the next job. I, I don't think I can really work in a two-dimensional way and I don't think I'd last in the job. Mm. Um, I guess it's concentrating on the things that you love to do, the things that you're in that are important to you. And I guess aligning your business yeah, to absolutely. values, you know, yeah. and I don't hear, I don't hear surveyors talk about that a lot. I mean, on my, my mastermind programs and the coaching that I do, you know, that's one of the key things that I get, get people to do is just to talk about what's important to you. How did you find, I mean, have you always understood your values from no, the work that you've done or? I've some, I mean, yes, some, but I've not really, the piece of work you did is awesome on identifying core values. And I, and I, and I spent a lot of time reflecting on that and learned from hearing other people's values. And I know it comes from Brené Brown's investigation and um, I, I love her work as well. Yeah, I'm, I value health is my main my first value, if I count one, it count the most important one. I think physical, mental health, and tuning into myself. And is, why is that? Um, I suppose it's from those dark, tra- the darkest times I've had, and working as a trainer. I think because without without health and wellness and wholeness, you know, I know we're not just 
a body or a, a mind or a brain or an arm we're, we're, it's all of us and it's multi-level and mm. the um one of the things I, you know, a number of surveyors will know about, and one thing I talk about when I work with clients is Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with your physiological needs. For what it means to be an optimum human being, it all starts with your your physiological needs. So that's the boring things like yeah. getting enough sleep, you know, drinking enough water, eating good food. But it's all those things like sex reproduction. You know, we've got to have some fun in our lives. But it's all, it's it's it that basic replenishment. And yet, when I talk to small business owners, you know, they seem to not have uh, not have the boundaries over I mean, over work-life balance. Now, I always talk about work-life integration because I think you're one person, but there's yeah. still got to be a, 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 a balance in there. But it's almost like you, people don't give themselves permission to say, I need a day off, you know, or between so jobs. True. Um, so true. It's so hard. It's so, work can take over, and I think, you know, we... It's, e- it's easy to just give, especially when you're running your own firm. And I think our culture is is kind of bows down to work like it's an I like it's it's mm. a god. It's not uh, and we that think there's busy. We think, yeah, that busy badge of honor, you know, how's work? Oh yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And and we've got to have a, you know, a colleague of mine calls it, you know, a fire break day. You know, no. where if they've if they've got time yeah, a big job's on having a fire break day or a fire break afternoon where you can replenish or you can, even if you're just at home, just taking that time to refill your tank in whatever way. Yes. You know? And those things are really important. I mean, it's in a slightly different different context. But when I was on yes. uh, maternity leave with my daughter, my daughter who breastfed for, for England and then didn't sleep ever, and I went back to work and I was exhausted, literally getting to the point of exhaustion. And I started to, I mean, obviously the facilities in the company weren't, weren't, you know, weren't suited. They didn't have like a well-being area or anything like anything fancy like that. But I started to have a, have a nap in the car, you know, at, at yes. three o'clock. I turned into one of those surveyors that has a nap at three o'clock. <laughs> but I'd go into my car, I have 20 minute nap and I walked out like a new woman. You know, and well, that's what all of uh, sort of Central Europeans do. That yeah, Spanish and Portuguese and Italians have done that for hundreds of yeah, years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just humans have done it for thousands of years overall, pre-industrialized. And it's listening to your body and listening to what you need, and it made a huge amount of difference to me. But I was burning the candles at, at both ends, and ultimately it all came spiraling down as as these things do. Yeah. But I see that a lot with 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 people where they just don't give themselves permission to say, "Do you know what? I'm not a robot. I'm not the Duracell bunny. We do need to look after ourselves." But the thing is, Ruben, well being sounds really boring unless you're going to a fancy I know. spa. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it can do. It can do like that. And, uh... It's, I like the way you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs just to give it some real grounding as value. And I like the way, you, and, and, and it's, it's hard when we learn through burnout the hard mm. way and through getting ill 
or you know landing up in in trouble physically or mentally that we need to look after ourselves and then it's might almost just really it's too late um, and I guess what we do is we see it as a form of failure a failure that we can't perform in our business as well that we can't churn out the work that we need to that we can't attract the fees you know it's a lot of these things are rooted in 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 a fear of failure and also there is a need to keep a roof over your head and to keep the business going and to keep the income coming in I think there's a real misconception that surveyors are rolling in it you know in terms of money and income and actually it can be quite a a hard um, hard job, hard work, but that doesn't mean you can't be successful, and it doesn't mean that you know you can't have that that work life balance that always seems so elusive. Um, it just means that if you really want that, you've got to set the intention to learn and re-educate your brain on how to how to achieve those things. I think with COVID, with the with the loss of access to social. Mm-hmm movement that we've all had it's a real learning on recalibrating on how to get support and it's a bit difficult because it's a bit like being caged Mm. it is and you know we've all recognized the importance of of what social interaction gives us yeah and the importance of things like exercises and our open spaces and the way that we live in our homes and what we do with our space. And it'll be really interesting to see how that affects value and design going forward. You know, if you think about new, new build homes and the shoeboxes that churned out, you know, um, I know there's a, there's needs must sometimes, but we've got an opportunity to take responsibility, haven't we? Of Yeah. I mean, I've heard that people are working at home now. So, I can't see that drastically going to where it was. I don't know what it was before COVID um, restrictions, but I agree. I think it will be interesting to see how people create, how how there's migration in in where people live, in you know whether they're going to be moving out to towns and villages or mm. urban areas, and there'll be more outbuildings, home office or home gyms and additional spaces, living space. And, and- and that physical space also then affects your your mental health as well. You know, you talked about being caged. You know, yeah. I, I remember a point in lockdown where I was just bouncing off the walls and then realised every time I'd left the house, it was with a child and a pink scooter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and I hadn't had any time on my own. And I'd been, um, I was one of these people who worked from home before and I'd, yeah. You know, I'd had some some space and all of a sudden these people were in my home and they wanted feeding all the time. But I realised I hadn't had that. So I had to really build in, you know, going out by myself for a walk, you know, a, a block, you know. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, it was hard to discipline myself. It is that. hard. It's kind of being, I think, on an archetype level, it's being our own our own grown-up and our own leader for our own well-being, for our own self-care, mm. self-love. and self-kindness and self-respect and um leaning into that is 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 not easy to do it's kind of easy to be the be a bit of a spoiled baby and just go I haven't got what I want and I'm just going to go on strike and you know chase my tail and 
that's just you know, that's self-destructive. Yeah, and I was pleased to hear that um, you're now an ambassador for Lionheart. Yeah, I've just started doing that, so I'm just learning what they're up to, and I've I had a really yeah, I'm I'm interested in giving back, and I'm massively interested in mental health, and I love that there is a charity for RICS members to support them with financial and counselling and legal advice. And I think in this time with in COVID, it's there's just a massive intensity intensification of stress and pain and struggle. And um, I think Lionheart's got a really valuable place. We're really lucky to to have an organisation like that support us. It is very unique. And, you know, it started many, many years ago as a, as a benevolent, I mean, it is a benevolent fund, you know, but it started very many years ago. And you have to admire the, the foresight that our forefathers had, if you like, you know, the, to invest in that and to put something like that together, together for the future. And so I think it's really important that we make sure that things like that continue because if they're good that they do. But it, do you know what? It takes courage. It takes courage to pick up the phone and say, do you know what? I'm not doing so well. Mm, it you know, does. And that, you know, it really, uh, and, I, and I'd say to anybody, first of all, if you don't know about Lionheart, go and find out. We'll obviously put the sh- the link in the show notes and, and things. Mm. Just get on their mailing list, follow them on social media. And it then becomes sort of in your radar and you start to notice the things that they do, and what they offer, yeah. how you can contribute and you can give back. But also then then becomes a, an easier step or an easier ask when you then need help for whatever reason you know and so for me even though I coach and support people my first port of call is always to say are do you support Lionheart have you reached out to them for their resources you can get it for free from them you know there's I'll always signpost them because it's such an important important thing that the that yeah. we have Let's talk about your your work as a uh, as a small business and working for yourself. Why did you start to do that? Why did you want to work for yourself? I think I've I've always worked in small business. I did briefly work for myself as a personal trainer. I worked in a small business as an estate agent. So yeah, most of my career that's what I've done. And I like I w- I wanted to just have a, a level of increased control and more power to shape where I want to go and um went you know some a level of from being an agency a state agency and getting paid at the end of a transaction and sometimes that doesn't happen and it's really disappointing I really like that I can get paid for the job for my time and feel just feel just feel empowered by that so I I guess it's that that sense of um that sense of worth when you're paid properly for what you do, you do a such a much better job, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're paid for what you do and that sense of worth. Yeah. How, how easy was it to set up a business by yourself? Well, I still feel like it's early days really as well. I mean, I qualified end of 16 as an associate um, and became a full member in 18 and registered failure. It's fairly easy to set up in a way and it's also, you know, it's a big dial of from easy to difficult. Um, I've I've got the a, a level of reasonable. I've got strong networking and marketing and sales skills from my path from my background. But 
I still need to learn. I'm still developing that and and, and mm. tuning in and tuning into how to make that best fit for surveying and valuation work. So yeah, it's it's a bit lonely being self-employed, and that's why working with your group and getting your support is so important. And having I think just having support of peers and mm. I've built up a team and continuing that's continuing to evolve of how I get support in my work and that tunes into one of my core values which is community and the family the the people around us in our work lives are our work fam like like family and and having a community of support which you're in that massively involved in that and I've got I've worked with a copywriter and um, I lean into a friend who's in PR and um, I've got a, a virtual assistant, Heather, and uh, I've just started working with a bookkeeper and um, Vivian's checking my, my reports. Having those people and I also have mentoring if I've got a difficult case, I speak to a building surveyor or another valuer when things are, when I feel like I need a senior colleague to ask questions of and make sure I'm looking mm-hmm. after, make sure I'm really doing a thorough job and seen enough to provide a competent service. And I guess the thing with working for yourself is that, yes, it can be lonely. And I, you know, although I'm, you know, I do work for Blue Box, I work for myself as well. And I have worked for myself in the yes in the past absolutely it can be lonely as to the decisions that you make when it's tough just the interactions sometimes of it would be nice to chat to other people about work and what you're doing and yeah my my husband's not interested at all (laughs) in a lot of the stuff that Uh, I do it's totally off his radar you know and and that's fine but you know there's sometimes you just need to be in that 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 chatty job and I think the 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 thing is that you can what people uh, people who work for themselves need to remember that they can create that and you can design your own network. So rather than thinking, I need to go out and do networking, which is very, you know, salesy, you know, orientated. Actually, what you need to do is to design your own network of support. Um, And you start off by looking at, well, what the areas of my life where I, where I might need support and you've got, your wealth and finances, which is where your your accountant, your bookkeeper might come in. You've got your um, uh, vocation, so your career. You know, if you're thinking about, well, you know, do I need to progress to from um, ASOC to to chartered status? Do I want to then go on and do a certificate in party walls or expert witness or whatever? You know, is that the right thing to do? You know, there will be people that you can talk yeah. to about your career. Not all paid, you know, a lot of this is is free. Then you've got relationships, people that you want to interact with and talk to and support you about your about your worries and, and actually celebrate the joys and the big wins, you know. And if, yeah. you've, done, yeah. if you've done a really good job and got a really you know, juicy fee. Which is really important to do. Who do you want to share that with? You know, I mean, it's really, really good to do that. And then also your health. And that's whether you've got your physical health and your mental health. And where you have the most support in life is generally where you will have the most success. And when you think about people who work in in a corporate capacity, 
Yes. You know, they will, the people that get to the top will generally have um, coaches, sponsors, mentors, a sort of swell of support that helps them rise to the top. Now, yes, they'll be good at their jobs, hopefully, but they will have that. And that's all that all you're creating as, a, no, as an I SME. I that because I think support in work and personal overlaps. And I think, you know, personal feels more like, and, and yeah, it, it's good. It's just great to hear that. I think as part of me thinks, no, I should do it all on my own and I should just intrinsically know the truth. I don't. I really don't. And having inquiry, like you, you talk about having inquiry and being inquisitive and open that questioning up and embrace that. It's been, I, lo- I love hearing that as well, which. Well, I think it's getting to the root of what's what's in what's most important to you and why and that's where the the values piece comes from and your business is just a vehicle to get you there and the work that you do as a surveyor is just sort of how you will do it to earn money in that vehicle to get you where you want to be but to take people along with you on that journey in that network of support just means that you you don't always you don't feel alone you know so peer support groups that you might set up I, or, or plug into you know you're, you're not on your own group with a handful of uh, with a handful of the guys i met in um the mastermind group mm. it's really we all we've only just started doing it but it's just really valuable and helpful for all of us because we're all working on our own really and but that's the thing that you can be empowered to go and do that you yeah. don't need to wait for somebody else to set up a network yeah. No, it's 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 you can reach out to who's in my local area, who do I know, who wants to join a WhatsApp, who wants to meet up for a virtual beer or a real life beer one day. You yeah. know, and you and and it's just having once you start to do that and reach out to people to do that, you'll notice that actually they need support as well. Yeah. And it should always be, you know, that kind of relationship should always be a, a two way thing. How much can you give as well as as well as receive? Yes, yes. I mean, it's worth. I mean, I, I, I think I, in my personal life, I've have been through some, some huge highs and lows, and um, it's worth me mentioning that my son Max drowned in two thousand five, and that's huge. That's a very shocking, painful experience to go through to live for a parent to lose a child. But from that, I think I've gained more sensitivity and empathy and value support because I had to kind of get up from a very low point and find a way back and way forwards. And that's still hard. Uh, That's a long time ago. Uh, I guess, and thank you for sharing that because I know there'll be other people listening who will have had some similar experience or, or tragedy that has gone on in their lives. And we don't always know that, no. you know, when we, when we meet people like you with your crazy hair and all the fun things that you do, we don't always know, you know, what, what's gone on or what, what goes on behind people's no. thoughts and, and lives. But also there's also taking the time to find out about the people that we work with and, and what goes on for them yeah it shows it shows sort of real it's really about building resilience isn't it but sometimes you have to empty the bucket and really understand and open up to all vulnerability to the rawness of it all to really understand 
how you then can bounce back and how you can then continue to move forward. Yeah, yeah. How does that that experience then sort of shape the work that you do now? I was thinking about that when I was thinking about coming on talking to you and, and making some notes. And I, and I think my I feel like I have I have greater sensitivity as a result of, of the loss of a child and when I'm dealing with people who maybe they've lost lost a family member and I'm there for an inheritance tax valuation or they're getting divorced and I'm there for a divorce matrimony and divorce valuation or they're moving because for those big reasons or there's anxieties around in the family that I hear about or you know I got called by a landlord the other day who got lots of anxiety about the way his tenants are treating him and there's a level of connection which I think I'm able to tune into because I've got I've I've had quite a bit of done a lot of personal development work and mm. my wife Cass a family and drama psychotherapist and we talk a lot about these this sort of space and managing life and managing stress and trauma and pain and and how to be with that and it's just it's common and universal and having a respect for others and a respect for for feelings and emotions is hugely important and you know sometimes we find our ecstasy and we find successes and sometimes you know life a, a corner will be turned and we'll go in the different reverse direction we didn't want to go in um, such as suffering a loss or mm. I guess I guess it's what you've developed is is real empathy you mm. know a real understanding and appreciation of of yeah. people's emotions and when people are dealing with property Maslow's hierarchy of human needs the second rung on the ladder is all about security that's financial security emotional security but physical security of the roof over your head the places that make us feel safe and so it will bring up a lot of uh, emotion and we see that with clients that we talk to that they're in a heightened state of anxiety. Will this deal go through? Will I have my home and my remortgage? All of those things. And we yeah. need, we do need to be able to tune into that. Now, it's not saying we need to give them counselling and therapy sessions, but to have an appreciation of it. And there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Yeah. You know, and empathy is just saying, I hear you and I understand. It's really valuable and mm-hmm. is a disconnected Mm-hmm. and maybe people don't know that but uh, yeah not everyone realizes that but somehow sympathy could be come across as conceited or patronizing and it can and i've seen it on complaint situations where things just flare up i see it on the surveyor hub <laughs> where people write a comment and it just flares up sometimes because somebody's interpreted something in a in a different way or whatever so um, one of the things I think surveyors could do as part of their CPD um, and professional development is to do more personal development. 
a number of the surveyors I come across and work with have never done anything like that before. And it might sound a bit fluffy, but understanding why you're a surveyor, understanding, you know, your your journey. It it, it really does make a difference to that um, emotional intelligence, if you like, that you then bring to, to your work. I definitely agree. And I, I, I think there's huge capital in that to, to, to deepen and to embrace. I mean, I, I do a lot of, uh, ordinarily, I do a lot of dancing, which is conscious movement and is, is a way that I, I feel I can really just let my hair down and, and be, have, have fun and play and be true and move, move with others. And, um, find myself um but you know a lot of surveyors might be listening uh, Ruben a lot of surveyors might be listening to this and thinking what <laughs> you know so a lot of people are so <laughs> out of touch with you know I guess what makes them happy you know uh, there's a, a podcast I'll put a link to it in the show notes podcast that I listen to called how to fail with Elizabeth Day and it's all about failure and she interviews uh, some yeah, yeah she interviewed some amazing people. And she did an interview with Mo um, Gaudat, who used to be chief business officer at Google X, which is the, they used to call it the moonshot factory, where they just do all the off the wall uh, ideas okay. and, you know, all of, all of that kind of crazy stuff. And he set about coming up with this algorithm for happiness, you know, how, mm. what makes us happy. Awesome. And he did loads of research on it um, and came up with this equation that states that happiness is greater than or equal to your perception of the events in your life minus your expectations of how life should be. So it's all about perception and and, and the stories that we're told and then the, the decisions we make and if we choose to be happy. And he actually tested that theory because his, his son died, actually, tragically. Oh, I think he was God. in his, his 20s. You know, so for somebody who came up with this theory of how to be happy, then had to put it into, into place. And, you know, if we can't be happy in the work that we do, where we spend most of our times, where's the point? You know, where's the point? You know, I wonder how sometimes when I'm reporting in a survey, how to communicate a little bit more Clearly, I mean, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree, but I, I do feel like I don't want to just identify the negatives and go on about the defects and the issues. How do I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a literary, uh, I'm not a copywriter, but yeah. I, I'm, we do do some really defensive reporting though. Yes. And we do put in caveats and we we are trained to find the problems that is our our specialism um but that doesn't mean that you can't bring some positivity into it and that's not to say we write happy reports <laughs> you know yeah. take things out of context but i remember I when i ran a do that a bit more just to yeah. I think I just notice a high ceiling or a feature that really makes the space attractive it's, it's, to, it's to put some positivity around it. I remember yeah. uh, when I ran a sales team that used to sell surveys uh, when I worked for a corporate. And, you know, we, we do, were doing some sales uh, training. And I remember talking to them about first-time buyers. 
know, they'd phone up, ask for a survey. They would be the most prepared because they'd have a list of 22 things that they wanted to ask or that they'd got off, you know, yeah. Bill and Kirsty's website of how it should, how it should all be. And, um, you know, we talked about it and I said, they're excited. If when you're buying a home, it's exciting. And yet in the house buying industry, we just bring it in a level of doom and gloom to it and scariness, you know, and just to say, wow, that's exciting. Tell me about it. What do you like about the house? You know, how has this come about? Share your experience of when you first bought a property and the highs and lows and funny stories, because there's always a funny story about a sofa not fitting through a door or, you know, various bits, you know, and just to keep that enthusiasm going, you know, because I think when you were, I mean, I noticed that when I worked in complaints a lot, you know, when you're dealing with people who are in some tragic situations sometimes, you know, how do you have that positivity? And if you can't do it through, you know, little bits of your work and dealing with clients, then make the rest of it fun, you know, and and you're in control of that. And fun is a really powerful thing. I mean, I I think, you know, you don't want to do pranks on your clients, but you do (laughs) want to relate in a joking way. Sometimes it's got actually really quick way to to deepen that related to create bonds to let go of stress to feel the, a close you know feel some synergy and makes life worth living really so much more mm. you know to, to, to have a laugh. I think you have got to be thinking about it though I think you have probably have got to be careful about yeah. your sense of humor and test it out I can think of a few surveyors who have terrible <laughs> terrible <laughs> jokes <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, yeah yeah there's there's a there's a couple in the hub you know who you are if you're listening <laughs> oh, but look Ru- Ruben it's been really lo- welcome yeah Ruben it's been really good to talk to you today thank you ever so much for your time yeah it's been a real delight and um, I'm very grateful thank you Marion you're welcome so thanks for listening to today's podcast I hope you enjoyed it I really do love hearing your feedback, so please feel free to drop me a message. You can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at Marion Surveyor.